0: on Note to Scene, I was a lazy piece of shit and didn't book a guest to co-host with me this week. So I mentioned two weeks ago now that I was tossing around the idea of doing just a listen, just a full listener bag uh, episode. And Matt and I had talked about that before because it had gotten so deep. But I, I really want to keep the show as consistent as possible and not fall into posting once every two weeks, once every three weeks, like we kind of did during the first iteration. So I I just, even though I don't have an episode, I figured this was just something that I could get out super easy. I'm recording it Monday night right here in the office, and I'm trying to get out of here before 10 or 11 and get this thing up. But So to give everyone a little background, I work at XXL Magazine, which is a hip-hop print and website outlet. Um, I manage content for the website, and then I oversee all their social outlets. So this Friday, Lil Uzi Vert, who is, for those who don't know, a pretty significant rapper in hip-hop and beyond right now really interesting because he is a peripheral scene kid as well um he has showed up to a lorna shore show he he has some uh, pretty niche deathcore interests. He's in love with Hayley Williams. It's really interesting to see how emo in the scene kind of weaves its way in the surrounding cultures. But he uh, he has appreciation for for definitely tidbits of our world. And he dropped kind of like one of the Mount Rushmore mystery hip-hop projects right now called Eternal Atake on Friday. And he said that it was going to drop next friday so that kind of screwed up a lot of my weekend and uh but the album it surprisingly delivered and i'm super pleased with it and a lot of people are and a lot of people didn't expect to be but i think there's there it's a solid listen front to back but i think there's four or five really really banger songs on it but so that screwed up my whole weekend there was a big post malone story and now I'm here Monday night, trying to figure out what to do for the episode. So we're just doing a listener question episode this week, and I'm gonna go through and just answer as many as I can. I'm trying to keep it as short as possible, just so we could get through this one and then next week i'm I'm working on getting things laid out to where I can have more consistent guests and and add some more elements to the show that I want to, but it's just all about time management and I, uh, you know, Rabob and I have full-time roles outside of Note to Scene that are responsible for our actual income and living on a day-to-day basis, but we're, uh, we're definitely doing our best, and we're, I'm definitely going to try and keep this as consistent as possible with some more in-depth episodes, because there's a lot of things that I want to do, I just don't have the time to do it all right now, but... So I'm just gonna jump into a few questions and hopefully dig up some stuff. As always, you guys write in, tweet at me, note to scene at gmail.com. It's note to scene on Twitter too. I, I try to do listener questions at least one an episode. I try to get two in, but since the comeback, things have been a little different here and there with a couple marathon episodes that we did. But um, okay. So I'm gonna dive into this question that I got. From a listener, Tyler. Uh, shout out to the Tylers of the world. He says, Welcome back, Tyler, and congrats on the Note to Scene revival. He sent this closer to when we first brought back the show. And some of these questions that I'm going to touch on on this episode are uh, a little old at this point, but still not necessarily time sensitive. But he says, uh, The podcasting scene world has missed you. A few things question if you could choose three people from the scene to be guests on the show who would they be and why this is a super good question and it's interesting because i actually had someone reach out from i'll say a band from the late 2000s that probably everyone who listens to this to the show knows or is aware of exists um, their manager reached out and asked if uh, i wanted to have him on the show their vocalist. so i I hit back, and we haven't, like, really set anything up yet, but this is definitely something that I would like to do. I'm not sure how I would do it. I don't want to just make interview episodes and talk about, you know, that person's career. I'd like that musician, whoever it may be, to provide commentary on an overriding topic. So, you know, if I had a screamo band from 2004, someone from, say, completely random here, Sayosin, come on the show, Bo from Sayosin. I would want to talk about 2004 to 2006 and that whole post-hardcore wave and how it came up and where it was at at that time and the bands that he was you know, associating with and that and were were existing alongside in that time, because it was such a special lightning in a bottle couple years, and just unpack and lay the scene for everything that was happening during that time. But I haven't heard back yet. So it's definitely something that I've toyed around with a lot in my head, but well, I haven't quite gotten there yet. But I think in the future, there will definitely be artists on the show in some capacity. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure exactly how that looks right now. But as far as who I would want to have on the show, the the only name that jumps out to me right away, and, you know, anyone can say whatever they want about this, but it would have to be Ronnie Radke. That guy is still pretty much the only one left in the scene who will say whatever's on his mind. Um, I think he has some sort of software on his Twitter that automatically deletes tweets after a while. Not saying that he doesn't go back and delete some of his own tweets, but he really isn't afraid to go after anyone or anything and say whatever the hell he's feeling at that time, right or wrong, and the space that he's put and fallen in reverse and his career as a whole, like his career trajectory, is just unreal to look at, because... You look at everything that's happened in the scene over the last 5, 10 years. And that dude has been cooking since the beginning of Escape the Fate in what, 2005, 2004? And he is one of the most relevant artists in the scene right now. Popular Monster is about to be a top 10 rock radio hit. It's streaming like crazy. He just re-released like a new version of The Drug and Me Is You for the anniversary. He's doing the nostalgia angle and making his band and his entity and his brand bigger by releasing new music all at the same time. There's no other band that's doing that right now in the scene and it's just been wild to watch. So I would love to shoot the shit with Ronnie and go back and unpack a lot of things and and just set the scene for all of the time that he's existed in it and how it's changed for him. He's probably the only one I would I would like to do more of a straight up interview with just because of the the amount of insight and and experience that he could bring to the table when it comes to almost the entire scene. I mean, he can't really give too much context for the the first part of the 2000s, but he was also a fan during that time and it's really interesting to look back at the fashion and, and the sound of that first Escape the Fate record and and how he was like the very early uh, Escape the Fate promos. And I'm, I'm sure he would disagree with it, but it's pretty obvious that he was ripping Sonny Moore's looks so hard. And and Sonny was taking from, you know, the Gerard Ways and the Burt McCrackens of the world and, and how all of that kind of weeded over into e- even you could reach back into like fashion core from atreyu and avenged and 18 visions and it dies today and and see how that all kind of conglomerated into that first escape the fate record and i'll never forget reading an issue of alternative press and i believe it was 2008 or so so i mean peak drama with that band um Ronnie's on the run, he may have been locked up at that point, Craig's in the band, so much drama left and right, we couldn't take our eyes off of it, but AP called them the Motley Crew of the scene, and it, it really was, they were the band that you paid attention to if you wanted drama in your life, and you were an emo kid, evolving into a scene kid, and that first Escape the Fate record really ties the not on the first and second halves of the scene. You there aren't too many records that straddled that line at that time in the middle of the decade the way Dying Is Your Latest Fashion did. But you can hear everything from early 2000s post hardcore to I mean, listen to the end of the breakdown on the Guillotine. Like that, that's one of the heaviest chug breakdowns that was in the in the in the 2000s. So I, I would love to have Ronnie on the show. There's obviously uh, he has quite the checkered past, and I'm sure he would love to come and use something besides his own Twitter to, uh, you know, have his say in in things, and and I think it would be a super super fun episode. So. Hopefully one day I'll be able to have him on. He has hit me up on Twitter a couple times, and we've talked a little bit, but we haven't got too deep into anything. But definitely Ronnie would would be the number one. I don't know about anyone else, but he would definitely be the number one. So Tyler continues. I'm sure this entire story is just as relevant as the band involved at this point, but just before you guys went dark, I emailed a story about seeing Paris in Calgary and how horrendous it was. I received a reply from you guys saying you would talk about the event slash Paris as a whole, and I'd still love to hear about it. So Tyler, apologies for not addressing this during the first iteration of the show, and uh, yeah, we we went dark for a little while, but... Paris was such an interesting proposition going into their second album because it truly felt like they were the next band that would break out of the scene. They were on late night TV, everyone was talking about that white noise record. It didn't matter if you were a metalcore kid or a pop punk kid, everyone could get behind that band at that time. And then they released the deluxe edition, two bonus tracks. They're some of their most streamed songs if not their most streamed songs on Spotify right now. And then they just didn't deliver on their second album. And everything slowly fell apart after that. And it was so, so disappointing to watch. And it's funny because I literally, there was a write up uh, for a post that I did at Alternative Press in January of that year before they released the album, where I, all I did was question whether or not they could uh, overcome the, the, not inevitable, but the infamous sophomore slump period, and their manager emailed me, and, uh, I believe it was Rabob, because she was my editor at the time, and he was just like, you know, this is super disappointing to see, I can't believe you guys would question the band like this, blah blah blah, and sure as shit, the fucking album comes out, and it, it, they couldn't deliver, for whatever reason, the songs weren't there, and they went dark, so it it was a wild change of wind all within a a very short period of time for that band. And it it, it took the wind out of the sails of me as a fan as well. You know, you could go back and listen to our note to scene episodes on that whole time. And we break down the whole rollout episode to episode and we want to like it so bad. You can hear it in Matt and I's voice and We just didn't, because at the bottom of our hearts, we knew that those songs weren't there. The production quality of it was very muddy. It has this gritty overtone to it, and it feels like Lynn is forcing her voice in ways that it shouldn't go. That all being said, somehow they got updrafted to Warner. They released an EP last year... And they're getting ready to roll out what I assume to be their their next full length album. And from what I can see from the back end of the industry and the, and the little that I've uh, spent some the little time that I've spent with it, it seems to be that Warner is actually kind of pushing this, and that's very interesting to me. Now they just released uh, a new song called Deadweight and there's a lot to unpack about this song as a whole and it it got me excited because this is a gritty ass pop song but gritty in a good way it's got it's got this edge to it it cuts like a razor and in pretty much all of the promos for the band now this is what makes me even more excited it's only Lynn you look at their cover photo on Spotify it's just her the artwork for this single is just her they have paris has the cover of the rock this playlist on spotify right now which is the biggest rock playlist on spotify it's just her and matt and i talked about this since the beginning you know as soon as this band took off and as soon as white noise started to gain traction they should have kicked those fucking dudes to the back Covered them up, not part of the band, focus on Lynn, make her the pop star. That was the move. But there, there's there's something about the scene where it it, it fosters this, I, I don't know if wholesome is the right word. I don't think it is, but I, I'll use that for now. This, this wholesome naivety that we need to support, you know, everyone that's in the band and everyone who helped build it. And I, I get that, I do, I've been in those situations where, you know, you and your friends have grown something and you don't want to leave any of them behind. But at the end of the day, your band is a business and it's about making smart business decisions. And it was blatantly obvious that it was time to fade the band to the back and focus on Lynn and put her out front. And they didn't do it. And they went away for a while. But now it it really does look like we're kind of getting what I thought Paris should have been back in the day. And it's so funny to see her, or her, see Paris opening part of the Halsey tour, which I was literally saying back in 2015 and 2016, the dark pop revolution tour, Paris opener, Halsey direct support, and Lord headlining. That that would have shut shit down in the pop world and it would have catapulted Paris back then. This tour feels five years way too late, but I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of up in the air again. I talked to Matt briefly about it, and he just rolled his eyes at everything, and I, I think he's right, ultimately, but it seems like kind of every other week we're getting these hints of Paris, you know, being on that tour, dropping this song, being active in the ways that they should have been during their momentum peak and i don't know what's going to happen with this you know the the if if they could get a radio push and they cannot you know focus on the rock side of things and maybe send this to alt radio them being on the rock this playlist as their main push kind of is concerning because i don't think that's where they should be pushing this they should be pushing it in the alt world but it it's really interesting to see paris in 2020 making the moves that they should have done five years ago i don't know how it's going to shake out but we'll see so moving on third part of the this question from tyler i don't know if this is allowed or not but i would just like to send my Any love and support to Anthony Green. He recently stated that he's relapsed back into his addictions. No matter what anyone thinks of anyone else in the scene, I think we can all share in showing support for anyone here dealing with any type of hardship. We are one big, dysfunctional, unapologetic family who longs for the days of front hair swoops, the tightest black jeans imaginable, the crab core being revived. So happy you are back and absolutely killing it. All the love from Alberta, Canada, Tyler. Well, thank you so much, Tyler. Totally agree. I saw Anthony tweet. I saw that tweet from Anthony when he announced that he had relapsed, and it was super disappointing and and, and sad to see, and I, I do feel for the guy. He gave our scene a lot. I mean, he launched Seosin, and then he launched Circus Survive, and he had that first solo record. Oh my god. Dear Child, that song is a anger. He's given our scene so, so much. And he was really part of that 2000s post-hardcore wave in, and he had so many hands and so many different things. The Sound of Animals Fighting, like, are you kidding me? Those records were incredible. And then to see him come back with Sayo and the, in the scene's kind of second wave and, and release an album that I didn't love, but I loved the idea of him being back and having Sayosin back and just consistently releasing so much quality with Circus Survive front to back. I think the scene owes Anthony a lot and, and post-hardcore certainly owes Anthony a lot. Um, he, he, he launched so much with his, with his career. And if you follow him on Twitter, he, he, I definitely recommend it. He's a very transparent person on there and he is kind of, it seems to me that he's just kind of reaching for a hand up right now and if if he's ever impacted you in any way with his music send him a tweet you know it doesn't doesn't take that long but any encouragement during those times it it helps a ton so I'm sure he would definitely appreciate that but thank you so much for writing in Tyler I really really appreciate it that was a that was a super dope write-in so moving on Hey Tyler, back when you and Matt were doing the show, you guys did some serious coverage of Poppy. And that was really before her whole new transition to a metal artist. What's your opinion on what she's doing now? Also super stoked to have the show back, Matt. This was not Matt. (laughs) Matt Crane. This was not. But um, thanks for the question, Matt. This is a great question because we did. We talked a lot about Poppy back during the first iteration of the show because we thought she was gonna be a massive, massive pop superstar. She had this crazy enigma around her with her YouTube page where she was going viral and she was releasing these super weird, creepy, unsettling videos that had everyone paying attention to her. And she had a musical component to that. So she was signed to Atlantic and she released an EP and it didn't really go anywhere she was dropped fairly quickly and I was super disappointed because at that point I thought it was done I thought it was a major label project that had a team that was interested in it and as historically what happens to all major labels eventually is a team signs an artist that they're excited about the artist doesn't get fully developed that team turns over they bring on new people those new people don't care about that artist. The artist gets dropped or shelved. So, that was super disappointing. There's a great song on that EP if anyone, you know, wants to dig back or appreciates good pop music. It's called American Kids. It's got some wild, wild lyrics on it and and it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster, but it feels like what Katie and I believe I said this on the show back when Matt and I were first doing it when when we talked about Poppy. But the song feels like what Katy Perry's "Chain to the Rhythm" should have been. I remember there was so much hype about "Chain to the Rhythm," and I believe we did that as our pop story on the episode when that song came out. And she—that was the beginning of the end for Katy, as we as we've seen. And I'm—I can't remember exactly what we said about that song, but I know neither of us liked it very much. And this song by Poppy feels like what that song could have been. It has a very tropical vibe, but Poppy's is way more nihilistic, not only in subject matter, but in tonality. And her delivery just fits this beat so well. And the kind of dichotomy behind having that happy-go-lucky type aesthetic sound-wise is... When done correctly with the nihilistic approach to vocals and lyricism, it fits so well. So I definitely recommend anyone who hasn't heard that to go back and, and check it out. But after that, she signed to an EDM artist label. I can't remember off the top of my head. I didn't do any notes for for this show. So this is all off, all off the cuff. But she signed to an EDM artist and... She released uh, uh, her first full-length album, and it didn't really move anywhere. It was very pop-based. It felt like what she was gonna do with Atlantic, but the songs were pretty underdeveloped. I think she got a little momentum behind one called Moshi Moshi, and I remember Matt telling me he really liked it. It's an okay song, but it's nothing super special, and it was I I expected that to be the last we heard of Poppy, and she would go back to just being a full-time YouTuber, but... I mean fast forward and TLDR all of this she ends up signing to Sumerian and now she's making this weird proto baby metal type rock and heavy shit it's so funny I I I called Matt at some point over last summer and it was ridiculous the conversation we had about how you know we had found he found her and he showed him to me and he we were all in on it. We were like, this is so cool. This is like the future of pop stardom to have this creepy video element to it. And this is how we're gonna develop superstars in the future by making them YouTubers. And sure as shit, it finds a way into the scene, the scene finds a way every single time, and I just think that's the funniest fucking thing, but she signed a Sumerian, she released an album, I believe she's got another one coming out, if it's not already out, but she has a couple songs that I do appreciate, they're towards the end of that, that one album, I believe she has one with Grimes, that's pretty heavy, but it's so funny to see, and it, it, just kind of feels to me like a little bit of a a baby metal ripoff at this point. Um, I don't know where she goes. I mean, she definitely still has the creepy element. Um, Not to speak for Rabob, but Rabob's definitely a fan. She saw Poppy recently in, in this new kind of rock and metal form that she's taken on, and she loved it. She bought a shirt and said the show was great. It was packed. So I... Uh, we'll see how far it can go. I don't know if she can manage to to grab some of the stands that Baby Metal has, the last Baby Metal album. I thought they were done and that record did I believe over 30,000 first week over here, which is crazy. That's huge for them. Huge because it's not like they're having rock radio hits. They just have a super dedicated fan base that I didn't realize was still active and I thought the gimmick was over. But they came around and they delivered on the last their last album. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to Poppy. I know, we know that Sumerian doesn't have the, the, the means to develop superstars. So whatever they can build Poppy into, I think it, she is a clean slate. And you can do so much with an artist like that. So uh, I hope they have a good team behind her. I don't know of any of the backstory behind what's going on with her industry-wise right now, but she just came into the office where Bob had her in for Loudwire. And she, uh, I believe they just asked her what, some of her favorite bands are, maybe specifically metal bands, and she said Norma Jean. So instantly I was like, damn it, I knew I should have went in there for that. So that was pretty funny and completely out of left field. I think Cory from from Norma Jean, their vocalist, tweeted it at some point. Uh but that was really funny to see because who would have fucking thought, you know, this this Potential pop superstar on Atlantic Records. Two, three, four years later, is name dropping Norma Jean for Loudwire. It's so funny how the scene just finds a way. But we will, we will see what happens to Poppy. I, based on the baby metal rebound, who knows what can happen here? But I, I, she's gonna need a really good team, and she's gonna need the means to, to build some sort of standum around her. You know, like I don't think that. Metal doesn't have, and, and don't at me on this, but metal doesn't have stands the way that pop and K-pop and even hip-hop does. So it, it'll be interesting to see if they can build rebuild a foundation for her because a lot of that YouTube uh, cult following that she had has dissipated. So we'll see. So, okay, last question from listener Mitch. He says, hey man, welcome back, miss the show. If you could manage a band creatively... What band would you choose and what direction would you have them go? Thanks and long live note to scene. Hell fucking yeah, Mitch. Um, this is a really interesting question. I dabbled a little bit with very, very borderline local band management. Um, there was a band called Harm. Their guitarist, vocalist, Andrew and I have become pretty good friends over the years And I kind of just, I found them towards the end of when I was at Alternative Press, right before I left. And I got them a really super small print feature. And after that, I went into PR and did a lot of freelance PR and worked for a super small uh, hardcore label uh, doing in-house for them. But it was still pretty much on a freelance basis. But I offered to help them out and they once they had stuff to to roll out we kind of did it and i kept talking to them and i was talking to andrew on a pretty consistent almost daily basis during that time about how i thought we could move the band and how they could kind of generate some more momentum and i told them this face to face but to be honest i just wanted to make them what as cities burn could have been after sun i loved you at your darkest <laughs> but they've released some some music over the last couple years they put out this kind of double EP that combined into an album and they got a lot of momentum through Spotify's scene playlists mainly Crash Course they finally got one of their songs over 100,000 plays and they just kind of revamped their whole image to not be as serious you know they kind of took the the more serious metalcore 2010s route Uh, as far as image went before their kind of 2020 revamp and I they released a new song called Atlanta 1985 and the new vibe is very vibrant the aesthetic is full of color you know Andrew looks like a fucking hipster and a half but that's okay I'll let that go but I'm super proud of them super cool to see how they've grown over the years And if you appreciate throwback post-hardcore with some, we'll say, counterparts tossed in there and a little bit of new wave ingenuity, go fucking check Harm out. They are definitely a a dope band and they deserve a lot more than they have right now, but it's still really cool to see them continually build momentum over the last couple years. But if I could manage any band, I wouldn't. I don't like babysitting bands, and that is a lot of what management is. Harm was not that. Those people were friends to me, and under those circumstances, like, I was never paid for what I did because I wanted to do it, and I appreciated them as people. If I had to manage as a job, I would absolutely hate it. I do not want to babysit these fucking bands because every where you turn someone's complaining about fucking something god guys get your fucking shit together and go the fuck up anyways <laughs> this is why i can't do the show alone because i'll just start going off like this but that was the last direct question that i had for this episode i get a lot of people asking me what i listen to in general on a day-to-day basis and to be honest, it is all over the place. I listen probably right now mainly to country. I'm from the cornfields of Indiana. I, When I was a scene kid growing up, I never fucking thought I'd listen to country, but I'm an adult now and I listen to country all the fucking time and I love it. Um, there's, a, there's a couple that I've been playing quite recently. One, his name's Hardy. He basically dropped like a country mixtape last year that features a bunch of different, Country artists on every song, and that was really cool. I love the new Luke Combs album. Big Luke Combs fan. I love this kid. His name's Co Wetzel. I think he's down from Texas. I'm not entirely sure, but he's got a couple. He, he he's a super interesting kid because he is obviously not a seasoned songwriter, but you can tell by listening to what he has written and the songs that he has put out that he has that it factor. Like he gets it. He just needs a little help polishing it. But what I love about him is that I don't think he wants to polish it. He's okay with just playing at the same bars and the same venues and in the, in the South and maybe up into the Midwest for the next five years. And he can, you know, he can fill out a bar and that's all he wants to do. And I just respect the hell out of that. And sure as shit, the scene finds a way. I found a YouTube video when I was uh, just looking him up the first day I had found him. He's wearing a fit for a King shirt. So of course, right? Like they always find a way. But as far as hip hop, I have been spending that new little Uzi Vert record a shit ton lately, ever since it dropped. I'm super, like I said earlier, super happy with how he delivered on it. I think not a lot of people thought that he would, and he did, and it kind of, it's not as good all around, not even kind of close as brand new science fiction was in delivering on the hype, but the fact that we got what we did from the Uzi record, I'm i am really excited about. Other than that, I've been going back, listening to Maylene and the Sons of Disaster a shit ton. They're always a constant on my playlist an old screamo band called Chasing Victory from way back in the day. They were never even on, they were part of that Christian, like post hardcore wave in the mid 2000s, but they were never even on solid state or tooth and nail. They were on mono versus stereo, but they released an incredible record called, I call this Abandonment, followed that up with one called uh, uh, Fiends. And then after that, they unfortunately broke up, but they actually did come back a couple years ago. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do PR for their comeback. And they released uh, an EP called Friends. And it was really, it was so much fun for me as, a, as being a fan for so many years to, to be able to work with them. And, and they're all dads now, you know, like they can't tour and stuff like that. They're just truly doing this because they want to in their free time and they, they genuinely enjoy it. And that was that was refreshing for me to, to break away from the machine a little bit and, and kind of immerse myself back into do, being a part of, music and a project that is being made by people that just want to make it and not have to push it in any specific way that was really fun for me but other than that he is legend they released a new record last year it's probably my favorite he is legend album besides i am hollywood great front to back. Um, I've been going back and listening to a lot of lower definition lately I don't know if anyone even remembers that band I believe they put the record out they put out one full length I believe and it was on Ferret um, way back in the day and they got this great song on there called Miami Nights Um, Valentino from Of Mice and Men was their drummer before he joined uh, Of Mice and Men so little scene history there but just kicking it around between country hip-hop and mid-2000s screamo if, if if I have a brand, that's it. But like I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to get more structured here and figure out how to do these episodes and have consistent guests and, and be more on top of it like I was when I first brought it back. I can't believe this is already the ninth comeback episode. I can't even call them comeback episodes anymore. But I just wanted to get something out, and I said I'd do a listener episode, so... I hope you all enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with a guest and a full-on topic. There's a lot that I have in the canon, so as always, to anyone who, who reads anything on the website, listens to this podcast, tweets angry things at, at us, at me, thank you so much. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, and this is note to scene as is, is my baby, and I, I can't thank everyone who is engaged with it or given it the time of day enough. I appreciate it so, so much. So until next week, I'll talk to you then.